0: All right. I want to bring you um, a third message in uh, the subject that I've been talking about. Is the Bible real and for real? Is it the word of God or is it the construct of man? <clears throat> we uh, have dealt with some of the um, more poignant thoughts about which I say, use the word controversial because we talked about, you know, was God a genocidal maniac and all that stuff. I'm not um, going to repeat all that tonight because that is that is not my point. However... Uh, there is a big question as to how we should interpret the Bible, and um, what does the Bible really mean, and even when you say those things to some people, they think it's heretical even to say that, because they don't want to have to examine and look at how we have perceived what we call the Bible or the Scriptures. Now, at some point, we'll look at some historic factors about how all this came together, and, and maybe talk a little bit about that, but Um, I don't want to do that tonight. Um, I find it fascinating that some people refer to what the Christian church is as Judeo-Christian. That is a, um, I don't know, it's a self-flattering statement that isn't actually true. Yes, Jesus was a Jew and yes, the salvation that we understand came from that dimension. But actually, the Christian church has been much more influenced by Rome and Greece than it has by, by Judaism. Um, even in the context of the Bible, because in, in Hebrew thought, because the Jews were, the, were Hebrews and their thought is known as Hebrew thinking, uh, even in Hebrew thought, the Bible was not something that you presented as a done conclusion to people the bible was something that you read and you talked about and you discussed and uh, and their main focus was um, how can the text be applied what does the text mean and how does the text apply and a rabbi was someone who who uh, was a leader in discussion who would gather people to him and they would choose that particular rabbi perhaps like you've chosen me and therefore you shall call me rabbi from this day on so they were they would choose a rabbi and then that rabbi would walk them through scripture and they would talk and discuss and debate and and um and they would they would then the rabbi would try to make sense and say, "I think this is the best conclusion um, in in that context." And so, when the Bible talks about binding and loosing, it's more to do with binding yourself to a particular interpretation of Scripture and loosing that truth than it is actually anything to do with demon spirits. And you know, it just we, we've totally reinterpreted all that stuff when actually its context was not that. So you have Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you. Now the reason he did that is because if you followed a rabbi, it was cultural. What you did was you took the rabbi's yoke. Now a yoke was something that used to connect oxen together on the front of a plow. So a yoke was something you wore that connected you. So you were connected to walk with the beast with whom you were, to whom you were yoked. So when Jesus said to his Jewish Hebrew audience, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, right, he wasn't talking about oxen. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He was saying, if you've chosen me to be your rabbi, then take the yoke of this upon you and learn of me. Because he said, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So so Jesus, Jesus' approach to the Bible as we know it, because they didn't know it as the Bible, the Scriptures, of course in, 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 in um, Hebrew culture it was the Torah and the Talmud, uh, which were two different things on that. Um, uh, Jesus took an approach to Scripture which actually would probably be more akin to how we're talking about the Bible than sometimes when we've made the Bible a constitution and read it as a constitution to people. Now, the Bible is extremely reliable. The Bible is amazing. I absolutely love the Bible. Um, I don't know whether it's, it's inherent. I don't know whether it's infallible. I don't know. Um, and actually, I'm not worried. It, it, it only becomes a problem if you decide that every little word, every little comma, every little thing in there, um, heaven and hell hangs on it. It only becomes an issue for that. But when you understand that most of the arguments that people have about Bible are not matters of heaven and hell, the matters of winning an argument. You realise it's not worth getting into that stuff. So, so having said that, um, I want to pick up in Genesis chapter 1 again because <clears throat> I'm trying to show you that right from the very beginning there's a model and a pattern. Now, um, as a history book, the Bible's not great. It's good, but it's not great. And if you don't know how to interpret the Bible, you're going to struggle with it as a history book uh, because everything's not necessarily consecutive. And details that are written are not necessarily the same because the Bible didn't set out to, to be an accurate history of humanity's stuff and things and what they built. The Bible is much more beautiful than that and bigger than that and so its history is good, but you have to put its history in the context that that's not what it was there to accomplish, okay? Uh, nor is the Bible a science text, or is it, nor is it attempting, as I told you in Genesis 1, to give a scientific explanation of the beginning of all things. The Bible actually is is... Is the wisdom of God, the revelation of God, released to humanity, that's actually given us much, something much more important than scientific detail or even historical fact? So those two things are in there. You can find statements in the Scripture which which modern science confirmed in. Just short of our lifetime in, in, in the last two, three hundred years that were not believed before them. But when you really look at the scripture you think the Bible said that all along. So there are some tremendously insightful things in there but, but it's not about a scientific argument. Um, You and I can understand all the science and biology of our existence. We can understand every detail of our history, but it doesn't make us happy. It doesn't release us from guilt. It doesn't sort out our heart. It doesn't resolve the issues of the soul. It doesn't build strong families. It doesn't change the world. It doesn't stop children being shot dead in school by some idiot with a gun. Those facts change nothing. So the Bible never set out to use science or history to touch the heart of man so that's not my argument Okay, was Jericho a literal city with literal walls well some archaeologists would say no I say well whether it was or it wasn't there are bigger lessons than whether Jericho was in a particular place with walls this thick so do you understand what I'm saying if you're happy with some of the things and I'm happy with some things that's fine but what I'm saying is that's not the point of of this book this book is much bigger much better than that and so I'm not trying to understand history through the book, I'm trying to understand God through the book. Right? I'm not trying to understand science through the book, although what we've got to do is we have to be aware of history because history is history and there are good historians and they make an important contribution to our conversation and thought and debate. And also, science. Science makes a very important contribution to the life of our world, uh, the health of humanity, you know, the development of technology. So, we, we, we embrace those disciplines, but actually, within this, some people misunderstand because some people think that theology is the study of the Bible. Uh, but it is not. Theo is theos, which is Greek for God, ology is the study of theology is not the study of the Bible, theology is the study of God the Bible is there to help us, we're not there to find what the Bible is to defend the Bible, we're there to find who God is so that we can live and accept and dwell in the fullness of who he is as the Father as Jesus released him so I want to talk a little bit more out of chapter 1 to show you that this is more about Helping us as humanity to understand deeper principles that change our lives than it is about, was there a literal six days of creation, was it 24 hours, you know, what, is the earth 6,000 years old and all that kind of nonsense that gets argued about, which I don't give a flip. I really, really. You, when will we learn that it's not, that's not the important issue of Scripture? Don't waste time arguing silly little things like that. There are much more important things to talk about. So I believe that within the six days of described creation, um, and we would have to ask the question, is it just, as something, is it just about something called heaven and earth exclusively? So in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Is it just about that exclusively would be the big question. Um, and, and also the day of rest, the seventh day, which was also part of creation. So rest is part of creation, right? I believe there lies a seven-point instruction for a complete life. That's what that first chapter of Genesis is. It's a seven-point instruction for a complete life. And if you follow what it says, it will give you a complete life. Now, that comes to us still through Jesus, because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. But each day carries within it a key or key elements of the construct and function of life on the wider scale. Okay? Day one reveals things as they really are. So I'm just going to skip through day one and day two. Let there be light and there was light. What did God see when that amazing spirit light, because remember day four was when sun, moon and stars came, when that, when that ability to see through the eyes of revelation, what did God see? He saw darkness, chaos and, and disorder. So, so here's what light does. It lets you see things as they really are. Now, one of the things we don't want to do and the place we never want to start in the resolution of human issues is by seeing things as they really are we want to start by seeing things as we hope they had been or we wish that they were but not to see them as they really are but you see the wisdom of Genesis is the starting point must always be seeing things as they really are that's the starting point of all things This is the basis for true love and honest action. See, I I don't know if I truly love you unless I see things as they really are. Because if I'm only seeing a mask, a surface expression, when I find out who you really are, if I don't love you, I'm gone. But if I see things as they really are, true love only ever exists when you see things as they really are. That's why the Bible says God is love. How can he make that bold statement? Because he sees everything as it really is. So so James doesn't have to pretend nothing because God sees him as as he really is. Claire doesn't have to pretend to be somebody she's not because God sees her as she really is. The love of God is not based on who I think I should be. It's based on who I am and when God sees me because he sees things as they really are, God loves me as I am, not as I should be because I'll probably never be as I should be. So if we grasp even this first principle, some of you are hurting with things right now. Let me tell you the key to resolving it. See it as it really is. Stop trying to fix it, put band-aid on it, put some duct tape around it, pretend it doesn't exist, shy away from it, see it as it really is in all its disgusting glory. The The creation that we know as the earth and the, the heavens was not in a great state when all this started. Some, some of you forget that the reason we have the other, the six days after it says God created the heavens and earth is because he's fixing stuff. The beginning, it wasn't in a great state. That tells me God is a God who comes into things that are in an awful state and if you go through his process, he fixes them. You can be fixed. I can be fixed. A situation that's terrifying you can be fixed. That problem you never thought you'd resolve can be fixed. That addiction, that habit, that compulsion, that guilt can be fixed. That's the message. That's the message from the beginning. So, So day one is all about God seeing things as they really are. And that's where me must start. It's healthy to see things as they really are. It's painful, but it's healthy to see things as they really are. Day two simply is this. He talks about... The water's above the firmament, the water's below the firmament. Funny language. What it really means is it was a primeval misty fog. So um, if you were looking, you wouldn't be able to see much because it was just all this foggy, misty thing. And it says he separated the waters below and the waters above. Now, that sounds really weird language, but what it really means is the cloud got put where they should be and the water got put where it should be. So in between, we've now cleared things up, right? You see, even though things were as they were, you couldn't really see much because of the fog, and most of the time in our lives, because we do not know how to separate things, right, listen to me, because we don't know how to separate things, Everything becomes a mush, so attached to our life, so inseparable from our existence and our emotions and our time, and, and it's all a big mush. And because we can't separate things, we really can't see clearly what to do next. So day two was simply the removal of the mist. I call it the demystifying of the elements of creation. It's necessary when putting anything in order to create separation, okay, okay? Mm -hmm. so we see things as they are and then we have to separate things or in other words we are not facing just one issue we need to separate this into things that are meaningful so that we can move forward now What happens then is often that there is resistance. We don't like to separate things. We don't like to be separated from people, from things, from stuff. Because we have these things come in which is we cling to our past. You ever heard that phrase, clinging to our past? This is what I've been used to. This is how I've lived and we cling to our past. When you cling to your past, it's like you can't see your way through because that needs separating. Now, if that was the end of the story, I would be as heartbroken as you are because you think, well, if all that is is we just have separation and, and there's no solution. No, this is just the second day of a seven-day process, okay? It's not the last thing, but it's something we have to face, okay? We see things as they are and then we have to go and separate them, right? It's not all one thing. There is an answer. There's a, you can see through the problem when you take this course of action. So we cling to our past. We, we, we found our place of comfort and we don't want to give it up. We, we, we hang on to our wants at the expense of our needs, which is another thing we often do. What we want and what we need are not always the same thing. Lots of things I want in life, but I don't need them. And um, when our wants go ahead of our needs, usually we finish up well, here's what the Bible calls, it's a very technical spiritual term, feeding the flesh. <laughs> what that really means is that what we want takes precedence over what's really needed. And there's no solution in what we want, the solution is in what we need. So, so in these first two days we see things as they really are, we have a good hard look and say, this is not as bad as I thought it was, it's worse, Okay that's okay, that's healthy. And then we we have to make separation and say, but I'm going to separate this. I'm not going to let it consume me and be one thing. We're going to separate so we can see through. We're going to put the element of the problem here and we're going to put this element here and we're going to see how we can see through it by the grace of God and by revelation. So then we come to day three, which is what I really wanted to, to talk to you for a few minutes about tonight. Now... Um, day three, at its inception, introduces us to the critical separation of two things to which a process of recurring fruitfulness is connected. Okay? So we've now seen things as they are. There's this misty, messy, primordial, sludgy fog, soup. And we're going to shift that so we can have a look. But then the issue is we have to create then an environment in which fruitfulness can occur. Okay, that's the point of day three. So in this water, he then separates the water and the land. So land emerges. Now, again, you know, if you want to go to science, there's a big debate that we can have there about, you know, land emerging. Actually, it's still going on today, land coming out of the sea and land going back into the sea. But, But what we get is the separation of land... And see. And he follows on by talking about then um, uh, uh, trees that bear fruit, and the fruit has seed in it, so that there is a recurring process of reproduction. Okay? Because the seed goes back into the ground which is now being created so that the seed can become a tree and the tree can bring forth fruit and the fruit can produce seed which goes back into the ground. So if you work with God on this, what you find is you create an environment of recurring fruitfulness. Okay, And that is, that is not only my desire for your life, but that is God's will for your life. But you see, we don't go to day three ahead of day one and day two. So we often don't get to the recurring fruitfulness because number one, we won't see things as they really are and deal with them as they are to create a separation so that we can put some air and some space and some light in there but we want the recurring fruitfulness. Well, you've got to follow the process. Genesis 1 is God's pattern, okay? So he creates dry land which we would know as solid And water or seas, which we would know as liquid or fluid, okay? So, solid, fluid, solid, fluid. One of the greatest issues of problem in our life is figuring out that some things are solid and some things are fluid, Some things are absolute, some things are variable. Some things are destined to change regardless of what you do with them. Some things, by their nature, will not change. Our problem is now that we have to resolve which is which. Okay? So I want to talk a little bit about that. So so we struggle with what is absolute and what is variable. Some things are supposed to change. Okay? I. I am not looking forward to my little Riley getting old enough to do his own thing and his own friends and all that. I'm his pal. But how many of you know if I try to keep him as my pal, I will create a dysfunctional young man who will not be able to live his life to the full, who will be dependent on his aging grandfather when actually he should be doing the stuff that kids do and growing up and finding his freedom and doing his thing? Do you understand what I mean? So there are many things in life we want to hang on to them because we haven't realised they're variable. They're supposed to change. The best thing we can do is assist the process of change. Right? Now, how many of you know the ratio of sea to land in the world? How many of you know there's much more water in the earth than there is land? It's about two-thirds, I believe, of the earth is water. Therefore, there's twice as much fluid... Twice as much variable than there is solid. Now the problem is, we like to make life so it's all solid. We've got structure, we've got rules, we're told what to do, we know when to do it, we know what will happen when we do it. We actually break the pattern that God said works best for the world. It's not by chance that two-thirds of the earth is fluid, I actually think that at least two-thirds of what we know as the gospel is fluid. Because yes. the gospel is an expression of God's world. I, I, I think that two-thirds of how we interpret the Bible is probably fluid. Now we can argue with that, but we could argue in the world and say with the population of the world, wouldn't it be better if we didn't have the seas and we had all solid? But you see, we have to deal... And right from the beginning, God's saying, you've got to wrestle and deal with this shifting thing. Now, I'm going I'm to disturb your equilibrium even more. We get all kinds of trouble when we try to make the absolute, unmovable, unchangeable variable. Or when we try to make the variable, changeable, movable, and absolute. And very often I find that's the problem. We're often trying to make things that are supposed to be fluid solid and we're trying to make things that are solid more fluid and we usually get get in a right mess with it. Now, I believe that God is an absolute. God the Father is an absolute. But the way he does things is variable. So he's unpredictable because you know who he is but you don't know how he's going to do what he's going to do. That's why Jesus completely baffled... The scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law, and high priests, because they had a rigid view of how God should show up in the world. And you didn't. So I believe God the Father is absolute. I, I'm convinced of that. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no change in who he is, but how he does things is variable. His faithfulness, his love, his grace, his trustworthiness are absolute. But the way they are specifically revealed to a person is variable. So we get wanting to dictate how the faithfulness, love, grace and trustworthiness of God are given to people. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous. Because the way he does those things is variable. I believe the way to God is an absolute. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now again, that's new beginnings, that's, that's change. But the way to the way is variable. So the weight of the Father is absolute, but the weight of the way is variable. So we've come through different paths, different streams, and I believe God's very broad in his creativity in that, just as he was in creation. That not it amazing that we don't just have a bird, and God made a bird. And every other bird was a bird. It's, it's, no, it's will leave slugs alone. That was a mistake. Um, That was meant to be something else, it was the leftover bits of some giblets or something that just, and it came alive and we had slugs. Um, Isn't it fascinating that even now, even today, we are still finding new species of creature? Isn't it fascinating? New species of fish, new species of microorganisms, new species of birds, spiders, insects, new species. Why are we finding them? Because, because the issue is God didn't create a bird, a horse, a cow. What he put within it was a variability that is absolutely amazing. So you can't just take Beth's one cow and say, this is a cow, because somebody will come in and say, this is also a cow. And this is also a cow. And that is also a cow. So we have this great variability in there. And, and I believe the gospel and the message of the gospel has to make room for that variability. Jesus is the way to the Father. I am the way. But the way to the way is wonderful. That all may enter in. So, um, the other thing we do is we try to make everybody the same. We expect the same from everybody and from every situation and we fail to recognize a variable from an absolute. So we try to make people absolutely this or absolutely that rather than might be this, might be that. Today might be this, tomorrow might be that, next week might be this. So the wonderful issue of the the variation that happens in our own lives, you know, when, when we are... Dealing with life, and how we address life, and what happens to us, creates massive variability. Um, But there are some absolutes in there. So, However we look at this, using the Earth as a model, one must ask, how absolute and stable is a solid? And how variable and unstable is a fluid? So it's not just like that one's solid and one's fluid, we've got to ask how solid is solid and how variable is variable, how fluid is fluid? So, so here's a key thing, I want you to listen carefully to me now. If you'll open your ears, this is going to help you. When a, th- when a thing shifts at its core, everything above and around it becomes rearranged. Let me say it's a very powerful statement. When a thing shifts at its core, everything above and around it becomes rearranged. That's the nature of Earthquakes. A shift at the core. The tectonic plates move. Isn't it fascinating that we say we're on terra firma? Well, terra firma is not quite as firm a terra as you think it is. (laughs) Because this world sits on eight tectonic plates. And those tectonic plates move on the core of our earth. So I happen to be a person who does consider the the, uh, geological... Um, thought that continents have separated and drifted apart. It, it might sound crazy, but it's absolutely, totally possible. And you know, If you believe in a young Earth of 6,000 years, then you know, they must have moved a pretty fair rate of knots. But if the, if the Earth is much older than that, which I personally believe that it is, um, then that is extremely possible. That When you look at a, a flat map of the Earth, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, it's fascinating. So you can even see how they were separated in the seas and the dry land and and all that stuff. But um, that's the nature of earthquakes. Now, I said to you earlier, listen to this. Magnitude 2 and smaller earthquakes occur several hundred times a day worldwide. That's fascinating. Hundreds of earthquakes happen every day worldwide. Major earthquakes greater than magnitude 7... Happen more than once per month. We only see ones that have happened in highly populated areas, but actually, of every single year, once in every month, an earthquake of magnitude seven, which is pretty earthquaking, happens. And great earthquakes, magnitude 8 and higher, occur about once a year. So we've got hundreds of them happening every day. We've got, we've got big ones happening once per month, and then we've got huge ones happening once a year. The occurrences of our lives are not significantly different to those on the earth in and on which we live. So what I, I want to explain it to some of you right now. You had an earthquake. For most of us, the category two ones and below are happening a hundred times a day. Okay, something shifts at the core. Might be just the way you were treated. It might be it might be how you feel. It might be that you're feeling ill. It it, it might be that you receive some bad news. It. it Whatever it is that, that you're facing, something in your life, and and those earthquakes just hundred times a day somewhere. Those earthquakes, they're happening in our lives. You're not weird. What you're going through is quite normal, and actually, it's built into creation. It's built in, okay. So why would that be built in? Okay, this is not a debate about earthquakes kill people. So does God kill people through earthquakes? That that He doesn't, and that's not the debate. I'm using this as a as a picture though to show you, because we could also argue what idiot builds a huge city on, on a fault line in the world's plates? San Francisco, what idiot does that? It's a major earthquake zone, what shall we do? Uh, let's build a city and put several million people in it. Really bright. Japan has some of the same problem as well. So, you know, we're not the brightest cookies in the jar at times in in what we do, but what I want you to understand is that even the solid things, there are shift and movement, even in the solid things. I, I find it difficult to understand, but it means even in a consistent God, there is still somehow within that shift and movement and shape and progress and development that actually shifts our world. It shifts our world. It shifts our world. So, so if you're going through one of these kinds of earthquakes, it might be the once a year, this is major, this is terrible, how am I going to get through this earthquake? I pray that you'll be helped in this. Now listen to me. So remember what I said, when a thing shifts at its core, everything above and around it becomes rearranged. So when an earthquake happens, everything above and around it, which is us and our life and our family and our future and our home and our finances and whatever is connected, everything above and around it becomes rearranged. Right? Now that's what we have to come to terms with, but you see this is all about grace. We see things as they are, we shift the mist. Okay. Now what we're being taught is, Things are not always what they appear to be, but if you let them be what they are, then you will come into a place of recurring fruitfulness. Right? So, thank you for that underwhelming response of excitement and excitement and faith. Well, thank you, Lord. Recurring fruitfulness, that sounds really boring. <laughs> oh. So, our ability or inability to deal with this determines whether what occurs is, as we call it in building or engineering terms, a catastrophic failure, or whether the stresses involved can be absorbed and dissipated through the frame, leaving the structure intact. Now here's the good news. The earth with its 100 earthquakes a day, massive earthquake every month, huge earthquake once a year, and I believe, for probably millions of years the earth has made it it's made it and so can you it's made it through all that stuff and so can you so in all this issue of learning how life moves and shifts and upsets and changes and rearranges the earth is still here as a testimony to God's hand of creation that says you can make it through all of this stuff now what's fascinating is all some of you will have heard in that statement is that I believe for millions of years, which I find fascinating. Uh, one American preacher, um, I won't use exactly what he said, but it was Tony Campolo. He said, um, he said, he said this many number of children, while we're sat here in this meeting in this 30 minutes that I'm talking to you, this many thousand children in the world will die of preventable diseases and lack of water. And most of you people don't give a, and then he used the word S-H-I-T, okay? And then he paused and he said, the sad thing is, most of you have not heard anything I said about the children who are dying. All you want to do is get me in a corner afterwards because I used a swear word. That's a brilliant bit of communicating. The sad thing is, it's true. So, so don't just hear that I said I am. I think probably that I still believe God made the heavens and the earth. But I think I think the timescale is not a six thousand year timescale. Okay, um, but laying that aside, the earth has made it for however long it was here. And so can you. So, so in spite of this movement that's built in. And again I, I wrestle with this. It absolutely blows my mind. That even that which was created solid. The earth that we say is solid. Has movement within it. And shape within it. And changes and affects and interrupts. But it's all in the good of creation. So it is for you. So. Um, here's what the Bible says in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. But it's the Lord's and everything in it. So so God takes responsibility for this thing that we live in and says if you've got any sense and you understand Genesis chapter 1 and stop rowing about the wrong things, you'll see that here is the seven point model for you coming to a place of peace and repetitive fruitfulness. Okay? So... I think Jesus dealt with this very principle. Who knows how long later, because it depends how long you think later is. So I'm going to bring you to one New Testament scripture, just to tie this together. It's in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Many of you will recognize it. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... Now, okay, how did the earth come into being? If we believe the Bible's record, what was the power behind creation? And God said, remember last week, was it last week? Last week we talked about the power of creation is in let there be, let there be. Every day, let there be, let there be. And I challenged you in your life that you need to live a let there be life. What happened was when you respond to the let there be from God, something changes in your world. And he's still speaking let there be. He speaks into your situation today, let there be. Respond to the let there be word. Okay. And your world will change. Well, this is, this is Jesus paralleling that in the New Testament. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, it's the same thing. It's the same words that created in the beginning and puts them into practice. What did the earth do? It allowed those words to impact upon its existence so the let there be became powerful enough to change because, because the world let itself be impacted by that word. Faith is all about you letting yourself be impacted by the word that God speaks over you. When he says it is finished and you let yourself be impacted by that, something changes. That's faith. Faith says when he says let there be, it's you receiving that and saying, God is saying let there be in my life. Not let's take away, not let's lose, but let there be and that process of fruitfulness. So therefore everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, does not receive them by faith, does not allow the let there be to make a difference or that it is finished to bring change... He said he's like the man uh, who built his house on the sand. And the rain came, the, 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 the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The issue is that when you read this portion, the storm is exactly the same for both people. It's the, exactly the same description. Because there's no such a thing as a storm for Christians and a storm for non-believers, right? The storms are storms remember my father-in-law used to say that the rain rains on the righteous and on the unrighteous but that's because the unrighteous has stole the righteous man's umbrella the storm is equal, the storm touches everybody the earthquakes come to all of us but the issue is Jesus in different vernacular, different terms in a different environment is posing an issue He's saying the solution is not so much what you build or even how you build it but whether it has a foundation that will hold it together and material which absorbs the shock waves leaving you intact. So here's the challenge. What am I building on? See... It's funny how words, um, or to be more specific, God's words, not just heard but done, secure our future and create an environment of recurring fruitfulness. Listen, just coming for community will not produce this. I hope you find community here, but some of you will lose heart and leave because just coming for community will not produce this do doesn't say the man who builds his house on community or finding friends survive the storm. It says the man who builds his house on the rock. What is the rock? The one who hears my words and does them. Now let's take out of that equation this scary thing of I have to be a perfect Holy Joel Christian who never makes a mistake because that's what doing the words of Jesus means. That's not what doing the words of Jesus mean. Let me put it another way. What's the impact of your earth shifting having on you right now? What's the impact of your earth shifting having on you? The major words that should be done in you are, It is finished. Not you better be more holy, you better do more things right, you better change your ways. The words that will impact that are are, are when those words that you are doing are it is finished. How do you do it is finished? You do it is finished by saying it is well with my soul. This is about to happen, I'm about to lose that, that might be sacrificed, this is going on, this is on the horizon but it is well with my soul. What you are doing there is saying my life is built on these words. It is finished. That's my foundation. So when the storm comes and tries to break you down, it's smashing against the words of Jesus that say it is finished. And it's never going to move those words. Those words endure forever. See, the Bible says the word of the Lord endures forever. That it cannot move. The word of the Lord, now some of the stuff we look at is, is the word of men about the Lord But the real word of the Lord, like it is finished, cannot be moved. Any storm of life can hit that and it will never shift you when that becomes the word that you're doing. Or the word that should be done is, and God said, let there be. That's the word that is being done in my life. God said, let there be. Jesus said, it is finished. And then on the back of that, we should also come to the Father and forgive and love and accept and live, and lots of other things Jesus said which are scarily brilliant, that lead to life and we should let people be and let people go and and let variables be variables and let absolutes be absolutes and understand the process of this that actually on this third day something was happening in this process which was seed was being planted and the seed was producing trees and the trees were producing fruit and the fruit was producing seeds so that there would be a never ending process of fruitfulness that was taking place you see all of this is not about bringing you into line, it's about bringing you into fruitfulness. The gospel is not about bringing you into line, it's about bringing you into fruitfulness. It's about bringing you into a God kind of life, a creation kind of life, that rests not on your endeavours, not on your efforts, but rests on his word that he's spoken over you. And so when Jesus said, he who hears my words and does them, is like the man who built his house on the rock. Your life's not going to move too far in the wrong way, where it's ineffective and unfruitful, if you today will determine that you are resting it and doing what he said. You are doing the it is finished. You are doing the let there be, when that happens, he says any storm will beat against you and storms will come but he says that that house will stand firm, will never be moved, anything else, any other reason any other foundation, friends whatever, I just like it, whatever you will get blown over when these things come, when the earthquake shifts you, just like buildings that are not built for it, your buildings will fall down, the wonderful thing is that we now know and Chris is a civil engineer, my back ground is in all that we know that we can build buildings that are flexible not fascinating you i'm not even going to tell you how far some tall buildings move because you'll never go into a tall building tall buildings sway in the wind if you've ever been on a tall building that has a glass floor and you don't like heights it's not just the heights that you got to worry about it's the fact that you're doing this so if you've not got a good constitution and stomach don't ever try it But you see, in an, in a earthquake area, you do not build buildings that don't move, that don't have flexibility structures that will shift with the time. And God does not want us to build buildings, our lives, so they don't shift and move with the movements of life. You're supposed to move and shift. And like the rabbis said, here's the deal, guys. We have some words here, but let's talk about it. Let's create some movement and some flexibility and some trust and some faith. And in it, what we'll do is what he said, whoever does my words. So my challenge to you tonight is, are you prepared to do it is finished? The wonderful thing about doing the things that really matter is you don't actually do anything. It's not like, are you prepared to do a marathon, do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem? It's like, the things Jesus wants you to do, in essence, you don't really do. You, you, you just do the, the allowing. You do the allowing. And, and you see, even, even things like loving, we shouldn't be Doing loving like I have to love Jenny. Because when you get this right, you're not actually doing anything because you love Jenny. You're not, you're not having to do forgiveness towards James. Because when, when you fix this, you are forgiving. It's already coming. So a lot of that other stuff that, that, that changes us as people all comes on the back of this. But I believe it starts in Genesis 1 with doing... Let there be, and it starts with us following Jesus with doing, it is finished, and when we do that, I guarantee you, though you've had your earthquake and everything above it and around it has shifted and moved, that you're going to find actually in this very place there will be fruitfulness, there will be a dynamic that releases you. One last thing, I um, used to fly east to west um, in the US, and I would fly across three mountains, Mount Hood, Mount St Helens, and Mount Rainier into, into, um, into Seattle. And I, I flew over Mount St Helens after it had erupted, and the whole side of the mountain had come out and, and slipped, and it was, it was a barren wasteland. It was a rocky barren, all the way down the mountainside and all around it, everything was dead. The shift had killed everything. I flew over it 18 months later and it was unbelievable. What they said would be a barren wasteland was now covered with shrubs and greenery and, 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 and wildlife and flowers. And unbelievable how this place of devastation had regenerated itself in such a short period of time. But that's the life that is talked about in Genesis in creation. It's recurring fruitfulness so if you learn this pattern there will be recurring fruitfulness through all the issues of life and I want you to receive it let it be, let there be and it is finished stand with me Father right now in this house thank you that you from the very beginning built into our world the example that shows us that we actually can come to incredible fruitfulness and incredible rest and that when we follow that pattern it repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself that it's never life to death in you it's always death to life it's never light to darkness it's always darkness to light so I just pray right now personally and specifically for everyone in here who is facing certain magnitudes of earthquake where everything above and everything around is shifting and being rearranged, that your grace will be with them right now to make the decision that I'm building my life on the rock of the words of Jesus that it is finished and what God said, let there be. And this is not going to destroy me, but this is going to be a time of new life and new revelation and new understanding and new fruitfulness because God is with me and he is my creator as well. In Jesus' name, amen. We're done. We'll see you on Wednesday night.